It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today and taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the show. You can email us radio at agphd.com. You can call us here in the studio, 844-44-AG-PHD, if you'd like. Uh, and again, we'll take any agronomic topic you want to discuss. I'm Darren Hefty, along with my brother Brian, and we've got a number of questions that have come in through the week that we haven't gotten to. There's a little bit of a stack here, and Brian saw the stack. He's like, hey, you better hit those mailbag questions right away and get started on those. Uh, so let's do that. It's the mailbag! All right, uh, we had a question that came in, and we were, I brought it up right at the end of the show yesterday from SS, who was a little confused about iron and a couple of things we had said, uh, I believe, on a TV show. Uh, he, he's curious, he said, do I have to work on reducing magnesium or manganese in soil, or both, to improve my iron uptake? Brian said reduce magnesium while Darren said we need to have more iron than manganese. Okay. So <laughs> several things here. First of all, I'd encourage you take a look at Mulder's chart sometime. It's something that we use for soil fertility and then it also gets used for animal nutrition as well. If you look at iron and any connection to any other nutrients, does not, according to Mulder's chart, directly connect to magnesium. We're going to talk about that here in just a minute, though. Uh, iron does, however, connect directly to manganese. So in other words, if you put on more iron than and lots more iron, you could negatively impact your manganese availability and vice versa. Okay, Magnesium does not have any direct connection to manganese according to Mulder's chart either. So I'm just saying magnesium doesn't directly tie in to manganese or iron. So in other words, if you raise your magnesium or lower your magnesium, it shouldn't have this direct impact on, oh, it's making it more or less available right that minute. Okay? So that's the first thing. With the manganese and iron discussion, so that came from Neil Kinsey and Neil talks a lot about he how he wants the iron to be more than the manganese and if it's not then you're gonna have availability issues now there like I said earlier there is a direct connection between iron and manganese so you need to get that ratio right the problem is Neil's lab test may not be the same as your lab test so in other words your lab may not give you the same readings as Neil's lab. So for example, when we've run through Midwest labs, either using a Malik 3 or the DTPA, we have not found this iron to manganese relationship to be exactly the way Neil describes it, simply because the samples aren't running through Neil's lab and every lab tests these things a little different. So I know that got super confusing for you, but just understand that we want good levels of both iron and manganese in the soil and just to be on the safe side, just like Neil says, I'd, I'd try to have your iron higher than your manganese, but you can study it just like we have to make sure that it's actually making a difference on yield, whatever your ratio of iron to manganese is. Now, I don't know what the comment about magnesium and iron was exactly that, that we were talking about on that particular show. But I know this, if you've got a high magnesium soil, you're going to have a really tight 
and poorly drained soil. So it's getting harder sometimes to extract anything because your root growth may be limited. So I don't know if that's what we were talking about. I'm not real sure. So if you told us exactly what show it was, then I could, I could look back and see what the context was that we were talking about. These three elements, magnesium, manganese, and iron. All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, I got this one in from John out in Maryland. He said, guys, uh, going to put Sharpen on. And I'm curious, why do people add nitrogen to a Sharpen program if they're already adding methylated seed oil? Would ammonium sulfate be able to replace just using straight nitrogen and serve the same purpose? What do you like to put with Sharpen? Probably. Um, most of the time, like for us, we're just putting uh, crop oil or methylated seed oil with it to get the burn down. So keep in mind, anytime we're talking about products that have burn down and residual, you're you're putting adjuvants in there to help with the burn down aspect of it, not the residual aspect of it. So it all depends on what your goal is, what you're trying to accomplish with the product. If you don't want any burn down, you don't even need any of that other stuff. You just throw the, the, the straight product in, throw the sharpening. Uh, but when you want burn down, methylated seed oil or crop oil usually does it. Will some nitrogen source heat it up a little bit more? Yes, it will. So that's why some people will add that. Oh, plus the fact that some want some nitrogen out there anyway in terms of fertilizer. So they're like, well, I'm just going to throw it in. Might as well. Thanks for the question, John. Get this one from, from uh, Jay in northern Illinois. Said, guys, planting a few fields this year uh, to soybeans that haven't been farmed in 10 years. They've got a ton of weeds out there, and they've got some uh, tree saplings that I'm going to remove first uh, in the coming weeks. But then I got to think about my pre-program for next year. I know you guys are big on the three effective modes of action uh, and then following up post-emerge. What recommendations would you have if you were planting soybeans into ground that hadn't been farmed in 10 years and has lots of weeds? Well, I'm. it, it doesn't make a lot of difference to me. Uh, I'm going to treat it mostly the same in that I just want to see, well, what weeds do I have? And then I'm going to have, I'm going to try to come up with the best plan of action to get them under control. So, yes, we would like three effective modes of action. So that probably means you need a PPO, either Authority or Valor. You need Metribuzin. And then one of the yellows, either Trifluralin or Prowl. But we don't know exactly what weeds you're talking about there. So it could be slightly different from that. Uh, so I guess that's really where I would start. Now, beyond that, I'm just thinking about, okay, what's going to come up in this next year that's out of the ordinary? So when you mention trees, well, that's a little bit concerning to me because we don't have any great way to kill trees in soybeans. Now, you could try it with, let's say, Roundup, if it's Roundup-ready soybeans, and hope for the best there. So let's hope you don't have a lot of trees coming back. Otherwise, um, you might not have a super fun year. But I don't think I'd be too worried. Hey, thanks for the question, Jay. Really appreciate it. It's Farmer Friday, and we'll be right back. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. 
With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Water Hemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of Fierce Herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valen.com slash fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings. Experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids. Extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. Thanks for joining us today. The best thing about Farmer Fridays is we don't have any agenda today. There's no topic of the day or anything like that. We're just taking your calls and questions throughout the show. You can email us, radio at agphd.com, and we've got some soil samples here to get into in just a second. A lot of, a lot of folks uh, putting on fall fertility or making fertility decisions for this coming crop. Uh, it's a great way to share those, or you can just give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. Got Brent with us right now on the phone lines, uh, hopefully wrapping up harvest. How are you doing, Brent? Hey, pretty good. How are you guys doing? Good, good. You guys get done? Yes, we did. Uh, got a little snow last night up here, so glad we are and glad everything's uh, worked up and in good shape. Yeah, I heard that. Uh, how much snow did you get? Uh, we got about five inches here. I'm just just around the Thiefer Falls area. Wow. Yep. Well, it is hockey season, right? It sure is. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, I'm not ready for it to be white out for the whole winter. Do you, are there uh, are there hopes of it melting, or do you think you're kind of stuck now? You know, um, we probably got a, a good solid inch of rain here just before it, it turned over to snow. Um, you know, like some people go out and maybe cultivate one more time or do a little ditching and, and touch up some things, but it, it might do uh, more damage than good going out there now when it's with, with the moisture that we got. Yeah. Yeah, we'd, we'd take that inch once everybody's wrapped up here too. I, I'm afraid we're not going to get quite wrapped up before this weather comes through our area as well. Uh, so how, how were crops this year? How would you guys turn out? You know, surprisingly, the crops were, were pretty good um, for the amount of rain that we got this year. I'm kind of repeating like everybody else is saying, you know, it's where did this crop come from, from from the moisture that was there? Because pretty much the whole season we were dry. Um, and we had just a few rains in June, and that must have held us just to get us through. Yeah, it's it's interesting when you've got heavier soils and we get a year like this where there's just tons of sunshine, not a rain cloud in the sky for most of the summer. Uh, you're right, that root system is going to do its best job. So if you do everything to have great roots underneath your plants, 
You still got a shot. I, I am also surprised by how, how good it was. I'm not saying it was like a record yield or anything for us, but it was way better than I thought we were going to get. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and, you know, coffee talk around the area, some of them Canadian wildfire, you know, all the, all the smoke that we had all season long. Um, some of them hot days when it was, you know, filled with smoke up there, maybe that really helped keeping that, that blazing sun off the plant where, you know, an 80 degree day where it should have been 90, you know, maybe to cut it 10 degrees, but I don't know. It's, uh, you know, cause you dig with a backhoe, you, you dig some holes and you don't have to go very deep and it's just powder. Yep. Yep. We got the same thing here. And I, I agree with you. I think, uh, there are a lot of negatives about that smoke, but it did take the edge off some of that heat in the summer. And when you're not getting any rain, that, that's not a bad deal. Hey, are guys still planting corn in your area, or are they switching more to back to wheat and soybean rotation just to to get through some of these tough years? You know, there is a lot of corn planted up here. Personally, I don't plant any, um, you know, um, but there's a lot of it still standing, and that's kind of the reason why we don't up here. But some farms uh, go heavy into it, and, and I've been hearing good crops, uh, good yields off of it. Um, but you know what the snow we got here now, it's, it's that heavy, wet stuff hanging on and it's going to take a little while to, to, to get back in the field. Yeah. I've heard good yields too, but there's, there's a lot of good farmers up in, in your part of Minnesota. So it's not surprising whatever crap you do, you'll figure out a way to be pretty successful at it. Hey Brent, thank you so much. Sorry you guys got the snow already, but, uh, but glad to hear the crops are in. All right. Well, thank, thank you very much. You bet. Sit down to Iowa. We've got Rick on. Uh, Rick, how are you guys coming? You all wrapped up with harvest? We are. We're done with harvest uh, ourselves, and I'm going to say 95% of the beans are done around and probably, I don't know, 85% of the corn or so. Um, so it's it's getting getting pretty well wound down around here. That's awesome. That's awesome. Did you have any trouble getting fall fertilizer, or do you guys wait till spring to do stuff? Actually, uh, we've uh, we've got right after it when we called out of the combine and we're pretty much done with fall fertilizer. Um, I put anhydrous on in the fall and it was a little warm, but the soil conditions were outstanding. It's sealed like maybe I've never seen it before. And obviously now it's 40 degrees outside and the ground temperature is dropping rapidly. So not a lot has gone on, but uh, there'll be a lot next week if it, if it dries out, we have gotten a little bit of rain, but we're, we're dry. So you know, it's it's good you got after it, especially with this weather that's coming through now. And a lot of times non-farmers will say, man, why are farmers always in such a hurry? And you just need a year like this, and you see snowfall coming and everything else. And they realize, hey, it's not even November yet, and we might be kept out of the fields here. Who knows? It could be. My wife laughs at me that I run from the combine to start doing fall work. <laughs> and I said, you know how many years I've been a day or two away from having done what I want to do? So, um you know we're we're sitting in a pretty good pretty good spot right now but like i said we're dry we need we got an inch of rain and it didn't make it very muddy you know so well we got we got a whole nother month here we could luck out we could get some more rain and like you say if guys are all wrapped up it's just going to soak right in so that that might save us for next year but otherwise is it looking like you're sticking with the same rotation you making any big changes going into 2024 didn't really. We're about 60, 65% corn, you know, so we do a little bit of corn on corn, but uh, haven't changed anything up true dramatically. We're, we're lucky we're close to a large dairy, so we get some dairy manure that helps, and we're 
we've got a layer facility not too far from us, so we spread some chicken litter too. So it helps make that corn-on-corn corn thing a little more uh, palatable from a financial situation. So Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's kind of nice to, to work together. Plus, you get a nice little outlet there for, for your crops. It's it's a good deal. I, I envy uh, a lot of the guys that have these opportunities around them. We've got a, a large dairy that moved in near us, and that's that's been a real blessing for our farm too. Yeah, it is. It's it's good. I mean, the umbilical cord, the manure for the, from the dairy, so that you know you avoid the compaction, and you know that's left to do. But like I said, hopefully we get a get a break here and we can get that applied. So well, unfortunately, your seed dealer is probably listening to the show today, saying, "Man, Rick's Rick's done. I, I'm going to get out there and get orders so now. Now you got uh, seed buying season coming up." I, you know, I sell a little feed, so I, I'm that guy that looks for people that are done. So I, I understand how that game goes. So, Well, it's just one of those necessary things. What are you hearing on supplies? Uh, or does it sound like everything's pretty good, or are there some that are kind of tight already? You know, I think from what I've heard, uh, the you know, obviously the always the new, the hottest, the latest, the greatest is always in tight supply, and that's just the way the world works. But other than that, um, so far, it has looked like it's decent. Um, you know, I was concerned. We raised some seed beans. I was concerned about what their quality would be like, as dry as it was. But they really turned out to be pretty good-looking beans. And so, you know, we're one little corner of the world. But, you know, from what we've sent in, looks like that should be decent also. So. Yep. What do you see for trends there? Do you see guys going to more rootworm-traded products? It seemed to be a big rootworm year. I think, you know, I've got some customers and some friends and some others that have talked about going with some smart stack stuff on first-year corn because we're getting enough extended diapause going on with that stuff. But I think the more problems a guy has, it's fresh in their mind right now. They start talking tough, and then you sit down and say, okay, this is what it's going to cost, and that's always the, you know, the, the bullet you got to take. But uh, there will be more traded, more more looking at that rootworm stuff because it is becoming a bigger and bigger problem all the time. How about on the bean side? Are guys around you extend flex or is there a lot of enlist around you? Is there some of each? I'm going to say, and this is just a wild guess, 70, 65 to 75% are enlist and that number is going up. Um, the, the extend beans, um, you know, with the restrictions on the spraying and, you know, just the, the volatility of the product. I mean, I don't, you know, it, it, it is what it is. I, I think the extend thing is going to keep dropping back a little bit all the time and a little more going to enlist. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of change every year in the seed business, no doubt about that. But you got time to, to take care of all that stuff now since harvest is over. Rick, great to hear from you. Have a great fall. Hey, you too. Thanks, guys. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines are open throughout the show for your calls and agronomic questions. It's 844-44-AG-PHD. My mom's got a new case IH tractor and it can do it all. They'll hate all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Ship like a race car, steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com.
It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. That's V-R-A-F-Y dot com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Just because your combine is one brand doesn't mean its cornhead should be the same, especially when it costs you yield. Drago cornheads are engineered to harvest more. Lowest profile saves ears, self-adjusting deck plates save kernels, longer knife rollers reduce trash, and aggressive gathering chains pick up stocks. No other cornhead works like a Drago or pays you back like one. Get the best deals of the season through December 15th. Learn more at dragooffers.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday, broadcasting from the Morton studio, taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Talking snow up north when we had Brent on up in northern Minnesota. Let's head down to South Georgia. I bet it's a little bit different down there. We got Sam with us right now. How's it going, Sam? Uh, doing well. How about y'all? Well, pretty good. It's getting cold up here, though. I, I think you might get some volunteers if you offered farmers a, a job picking <laughs> peanuts or cotton or something down on your farm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's in the, I guess, low 80s today. I haven't really looked, but it feels like it. Wow. And we're a little bit dry right now. Um, we've had good rains most of the year right in my area, but 10 miles north of me, they were they were dry most of the year. So how does that how does that impact things? Uh, are you guys still picking peanuts right now, or what are you up to? Yes, we're. Um, I'm on my last field. My son's about seven days behind me with a with a peanut combine, and we're. Uh, well, this last field's irrigated except a couple of dry corners. Which I'm I'm able to plow them. It's a little little hard, but it's okay. 
You know, talk to us about and, the talk to us about the peanut crop this year. Was it a good year for it in your area? I think you guys were a little cooler overall, weren't you? We were. Um, the earlier harvest, earlier planted peanuts were not as good a yield, and the grades were down. Um, but we were we started make tent planting, and like I say, we're just now wrapping it up, digging. And our yields are pretty good right now, and the grades have been been a lot better than what I heard earlier in the year. Excellent. Excellent. How about cotton? Is cotton the next crop then that you get into? Yeah, there's some people around us, around us have already started harvesting. Ours, we're about, we're about 10 days away before we start. We've been to, everything's been defoliated, but we have to wait, you know, for the leaves to drop off and the rest of the bowls open. Sure, sure. How far do you go with your peanuts? How far do you go with your cotton? Do you have a, a local buyer that's that's nearby? Um, well, my son and I bought into a shelling plant a few years ago in 2019. It's there about 40 miles away. They, they take them about 20 miles and dry them and grate them, and then they take them onto the sheller. And uh, cotton gin is about 20 miles away. Sure. Yeah, it's. A, I'm always curious about that, and we get a lot of non-farmers that listen to our show, too, and they, they ask, well, why don't you do this crop in this area? And a lot of times it just comes down to where where have you got the infrastructure to handle it? Who's going to process it? Who's going to buy it? Those kinds of things. So, uh, all right, what exactly. happens What happens after you get these peanuts off then? Do you do anything to the ground? Do you do a bunch of field prep for next spring? Uh, we do. We'll... Um... We'll put a cover crop on it. Uh, some of it's for grazing. Some of it's strictly for cover crop. Um, you know, it. I think it makes a big difference to to keep one on there. Sure. Yeah, yeah especially if you're and, catching uh, some rains. You said you're dry now, but it's is it normal to catch rains through November, December, January? Um, we usually get a little rainy spell during harvest, but. We've had one, maybe two since we've been we've we've been in peanuts for about four weeks now. Um, we had a few delays, but not much. It was it was it. We were needing it because these dryland peanuts, or I don't know if you know anything about them, but when that ground gets hard, you just you just have to stop. You can't um you can't get the plows in the ground. That's so hard. So that helped, and probably. Sometime next month we'll get a rainy spell normally, and then um, but we'll be hopefully be through with that by then. And the pe- uh, pecan harvest, pecan is as some people call them. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I, I love some of these uh, words that there's a lot of different pronunciations out there. I I get it, just kind of like uh, I say almond, but uh, the guys out in California I'll call them amen. So I I don't know it's. <laughs> It's just I go a, with almond. Either way, they're tasty, and and I I agree with you. Uh, I I'm I'm great for uh, some Thanksgiving, and we would call it pecan pie here. But uh, <laughs> however you have to say that word is is fine. It still still tastes great. Well, hey Sam, thank you so yep. much. I know you guys are super busy. Really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Okay, thank you. You bet. Got Bruce over in Minnesota on now. How you doing, Bruce? I'm pretty good. And you? We're not doing too bad. How are yields in your area? Um, actually, quite good. We didn't have much rain, 
but the yields are over APH, which is fine for this year. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That's a little surprise. Of, I keep track of moisture every year and have for many years. And uh, this year, from the time that I planted until the crop was mature, I had 13 inches of rain. Um, some years I've had 10, some years I've had 35. But this year, and most all the people kind of forget this, but and I don't know how it was in your in your particular area, but in our area, we had about 80 inches of snow. And if you're plowing snow last winter, you'd figure out that every time that you're plowing snow, you're into digging up the lawn. Yeah. There was no frost underneath. That's right. It's the so same here. I, the way the way that figures out to me is we got about eight inches of of rain that went into the soil because we had no runoff. So the people that are saying you don't need precipitation to raise a good crop, they're kind of forgetting a factor here. I agree, and guys in our area noticed it too. Where there were the ten foot snow drifts, that was where the best yields often were out in fields too. So. Uh, and even along tree belts, guys said, man, normally I take a yield hit when I'm up by the trees. But this year, because all the snow piled up there, uh, we actually had a yield positive in, in those spots. So, yeah, that snow actually made a little more of a difference than people were expecting. Yeah. So we got a pretty good crop out of it, and that's good because we certainly didn't expect it. You bet. Okay, so southeast Minnesota, uh, I I know the ground can vary a little bit. Do you consider your ground to be a little heavier ground or a little lighter soil? We're still warm. We're in the middle. Okay. Yeah, I know. I was talking we to one farmer over there. We don't have tile and we don't have sand. Okay. I know there's some sandy spots over there. That's why I was kind of curious about that. And I, I thought, man, uh, in the sandy spots, so I don't know if that eight inches stuck around. But, uh, yeah, if you got a little bit of holding capacity, that that's a good deal. Yeah, we don't have heavy clay that needs tile, and we also don't have in the middle, and it's pretty good cropland other than this hills. You bet. You bet. All right, so uh, thinking about this harvest season, uh, that's all behind. What about field work and prep for next year? Is that all done in your area, or a lot of guys still working? Um, those who do it are mostly done um i guess we're mostly no-till so that's not a factor sure sure awesome well bruce uh good luck to you hope that's awesome to hear you guys had uh had really good yields above aph and and uh, hopefully you don't have to get 80 inches of snow this year to do that again hopefully it just comes nicely as as rain through the growing season for you yeah we've sort of figured out no-till and I know that you've had a lot of experience with no-till where you had uh, nutrient stratification. Right. And we were running in, into it also. So presently, all of our fertilizer goes on dry through a planter, which is a pretty rare system. Most people don't want to do it, and with the exception of the nitrogen. But if you do it that way, no-till will stick with anything else. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, that's that's a good tip, Bruce. I really appreciate that. Hey, it's great talking to you. We'll have to have to talk again some some other time. We appreciate it, Bruce. Sure will. You guys do such a good job. I always listen. Oh, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate the support. Uh, hey, Brian, I had a simple question that came in from Dave. He said, "You guys have talked about silage. You've talked about grain. Is it the same corn? 
Is it something different, like yeah. sweet corn, where you're planting a whole different plant? No, it's the same corn. It's just the objective is different. So you have to look at it a little bit differently. For example, I want more nitrogen earlier in the season if I'm going for silage. I want to plant a little bit later, and I definitely want to use some gibberellic acid to make the plant taller and give me more total mass. won't necessarily mean more yield, but I want more mass. For corn grain, I want to plant earlier. I want to plant shorter hybrids in some cases, so I have less risk for lodging, things like that. So lots to talk about there, but that's kind of the general summary. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brothers. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman. When there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Are you ready? We got the need, the need for seed treatment. Start your engines. Ready, set, Intego. Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. Because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year, BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine. The linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get more points with the end zone from Farm Shop MFG. In a 20,000 bushel bin full of corn, gaining three points of moisture adds the equivalent of 1,000 bushels to your bottom line. Call 712-520-6051. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Take your tillage to the next level with the Insight Universal Tillage Tool from McFarland Ag. With more adjustability and flexibility, the Insight is the ultimate one-pass tillage tool. Visit McFarlandAg.com to find your closest dealer. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. As you can tell, our phone lines are open all throughout the show. I've had some great farmers on talking about how things are going in their area. And uh, again, another one right now. We've got Brandon down in southeast Missouri. How's it going, Brandon? 
Oh, it's going good. How are you guys today? Good, good. Uh, what are you guys up to? Well, I've actually got the old plow back out. Oh boy, this sounds this sounds like a Brian question coming up here, or, or maybe even a Brian discussion. Brand, I think Brian's all excited. He's smiling now. He's happy about this. Well, here's the story, the backstory behind this. I planted a bunch of sedan grass in some bottom ground this, well, in uh, June or July, and then we got that one random rain. It put about 10 inches of water on us, and it all flooded and floated it full of sticks and stuff. So I wasn't about to drive my motor conditioner back out through there again. So it's just been standing there, and I've been thinking about it. And I looked at it the other day, and I thought, I wonder if the plow will put that under the ground. And it did. But now I'm wondering what kind of mess I've made. <laughs> well, I understand why you didn't want to go back out there with the mower conditioner because you knew you were going to have some surprises out there. What turned up when you were we were plowing? Did you did you see a lot of trouble out in the field? No, it actually plowed under perfectly for yeah. sedan grass that was around eight, nine, ten feet tall. There's there's not a in sprig on top of the dirt anymore. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I wasn't too worried about that. Darren's joking around with this plow thing. I don't really care if a guy uses a plow, doesn't use a plow. It's just a tool. Sometimes it works great, and other times we don't want to use it. But, yeah, in your case, I, I mean, plowing all that stuff down, I'm not I, I'm not super worried about it. It's going to break down, and it'll be fine. You, you just put a whole bunch of organic material down into the soil. It actually, for the next year, should help you with your drainage and stuff like that. And I kind of look at it as green manure. We haven't done sedan grass, and we haven't ever had anything that's been eight feet tall that we've plowed down. But we have plowed stuff down before that's a growing green crop, and everything turns out just fine. So uh, do you have a particular concern, or what, what is it that's worrying you the most, or just the fact that you haven't done it before? Well, I've never plowed under that much, I guess, organic matter in the past. <laughs> yep. And I'm just, I'm more worried about am I even going to be able to get back into that field come spring because I just think it's just going to turn into a big pile of mush. Well, yeah, maybe, but I, I mean, we farm river bottom ground too. And I, I, I got to be honest with you, Brandon, every spring I'm nervous about our river bottom ground, no matter how I treat it, that it's going to end up that way. So whether I just plowed something under, I did no-till, I did strip till, it doesn't matter. I'm always worried about that ground. So I don't necessarily think this is going to make it that much worse. You're right. It, it could potentially be a problem, but you're also a lot warmer than us. And so that residue is going to be breaking down today and for the next month or two, and then it's going to break down much earlier than the spring than it will for us. So when do you, what crop are you going to plant next, and when would you intend to plant that ideally? Well, ideally, it's actually probably going to go back in just a fescue and clover mix. Oh, okay. And when so, would you do that? Uh, well, early spring, I'm assuming, because I don't think we're so dry now that the dirt is so powdery i'm afraid if i put any kind of a piece of equipment back on top of it at this time i'm going to create a bigger mess than what i've already got sure 
Yep. Yep. Gotcha. Well, I'll put it to you this way, Brandon. What's done is done. So whether it's the greatest thing ever, the worst thing ever, there's nothing much we can do about it right now other than just pray that it turns out fine. But I'll be honest, I'm not super worried. So I think you're going to be just fine. Uh, give us a call in the spring and let us know how it turned out. But I, I wouldn't lose any sleep over it. I think you're going to be okay. I'll definitely let you guys know how it turned <laughs> out. Is there any way to halfway figure out how much organic matter you put into the ground other than two years from now take a soil sample? <laughs> well, keep in mind, all you put into the ground is organic material. It has to okay. break down and and decompose in order to become organic matter and when you do moldboard plowing a lot of times what we find is that you're breaking down more organic matter than you're building but you put so much organic material in there i think you might come out ahead so that's the trouble is we don't know how much your organic matter is actually going to go up let's say let's just say for example it was three percent is it going to go to three point two percent in a few years or is it going to go to 3.1, 3.5? I don't know, and I nor do I have a calculation for that because it depends so much on your soil life and, and your weather and everything else, soil type. I mean, there's too much. It's too complicated. So, no, I can't give you a good answer on that, but I can tell you what you've done should be, like I was saying earlier, good at least for the short term for drainage. And I, 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 I'm, I'm optimistic. I think this is going to be a good thing. You should have some nutrients available. Your drainage might be just a little bit better for a while here. So I think you're going to be okay. I think it's it was a good move for you rather than a bad move. I'm optimistic about it too. And if you got time, I got one more question. Sure, yeah, go you. ahead. But I know you guys are alfalfa guys also. Mm-hmm. Where do you guys sit on the whole ordeal of cutting alfalfa after a frost? Are you trying to save the alfalfa long term, or is this your last year? Is Do you have one year left? I mean, where are you at in the life of the stand? Well, let's see here. On the stand, it's on year two, and it's beautiful, but it's full and ready to be cut, but it's yep. it just so worked out on the calendar that... Yep. It's year two. Okay. So we were in kind of the same boat ourselves this year, and we said, no, we're done. Because what I've read is that it doesn't work out too well for the people that do that. When they cut that late, you just have a tougher time. But you are in a different geography than us. You don't have near the winter kill that we do. We get to 30 below zero and stuff like that. So um, you here, here's what I wanted to do this fall on our farm, and it never happened. I wanted, I, I told our guys, let's just take a couple of half fields. Let's try it and let's see and see how we turn out because I think it could be okay. But the problem was the dairy, uh, they were too busy cutting silage. And by the time they got back to it, it's like, okay, now you're way past the time. So we didn't end up doing that. But that would be my suggestion is just take a, take a couple of strips and then just see. So I think what you're going to find is your stand isn't going to be as thick and healthy uh, in the future. It's not going to survive this winter as well. But you can prove me right or wrong if, uh, uh, if you take just a little bit and go from there. 
Okay. I, and I do understand what you're saying. We don't have near the winter TV no. stuff like that. No. You guys have. No. <laughs> no. I, I go down into southeast Missouri, uh, you know, every one, one or two years in the wintertime, and I'm like, this isn't winter. This is like spring for us. So anyway, yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, it's a little less harsh. So you got a better chance than I do. So, yeah, if it was me, I would probably give it a shot just on a few acres, Brandon. I'll do that. I've got a spot picked out, and I guess I'll let you guys know how both of these turn out in the spring. All right. Sounds great. Good luck. Thank you. You bet. All right. Uh, let's let's uh, well, I'll take one more question here before we get to break. Good. A couple on the phone lines here that we'll get to right after this because we've only got a minute before we go to commercial. Uh, this one comes from uh, from JMP. He said, hey, guys, I love the practical, cheap, and honest approach you guys give to producers. It works great inside and outside the U.S. I, I like the cheap. I like the cheap part, too. I, honest, yes, we're, we're absolutely giving straight information, no doubt about that. But but uh, being well, being aware of the cost, that's something that I think is really important, too, because we are actual, actual farmers here. We want to have a good return right, on our and, investment, and we want to stay farming. We don't want to go broke doing some expensive thing that doesn't actually work. Right, and here's the thing that I often see. So I listen to a lot of other people in ag, and people focus on one of two things. It's either all on the yield or it's all on the cost. Well, I got to have a combination of both. I I want to figure out, all right, what's going to give me the best return? What do I really need here? And then you got to be wise with your financial decisions. If I got a disaster field and I'm going into this next year knowing it's been a disaster in the past, I'm going to spend some more money, get the thing fixed. But on the other hand, I don't need to invest as much if I've already got something that's fantastic. And all I need to do is maintain that fantastic field. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. In 1923, Bertar Benjamin had a vision, an all-purpose tractor that could do more. With that, the Farmall was born. This year, Case IH is celebrating 100 years of Farmall, 100 years of milestones, 100 years of innovation, passion, grit. And they're doing it through your stories. Share them at Farmall100.com. One lucky storyteller will win their own Farmall, the tractor that is the one for all. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. Fred, how's harvest coming? Well, gotta take care of my STDs. Your what? <laughs> my soil transmitted disease. Got white mold spreading in my bean fields again. Foliar fungicides alone just aren't cutting it, and I can't seem to get rid of it. 
Fred, get ahead of the spread. My agronomist highly recommends Contan's WG from Sipcam Agro. It's definitely your solution to control white mold at its source. Huh, thanks, Joe. I'm calling my retailer today for Contan's WG. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. When nematode pressure mounts, seed applied Trunemco provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference. From early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield, impressive results are everywhere, and we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Top Grower. Request your starter kit at newfarm.com forward slash top grower, but don't delay. Contest ends November 30th. No purchase necessary, void were prohibited. See full rules. Newfarm.com forward slash top grower. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It's a Farmer Friday. We really appreciate the response today. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. We're gonna we got a couple here. We want to get to the held on through the break. Uh, I'm gonna start with Ryan over in Indiana. Ryan, how you doing? Pretty good. And you? Well, not too bad. How much rain did you guys get through this spell? Oh, too much. Yeah, I was worried about that. So where are you at? Are beans done? Are you guys still working on beans? No, we're still working on beans. Uh, the first two-thirds of harvest went really good. And now here to try and get finished up, it got to the point to where I ended up running a bunch of them through the dryer. Yeah, I don't blame you for that. I, I'm imagining the corn's got to be wet too. Yeah, uh, we're having... <laughs> It just doesn't seem to be drying down. It seems like it's like 26 to 28 percent. Huh. Yeah, that's no fun. That's uh, okay. So for our non-farm listeners, uh, talk to talk to us about that, Ryan. Where would you like that moisture to be, and how expensive is this when you've got a dry corn that's that wet? <laughs> yeah. When it gets to that point, I, I won't I won't dry it. I'll I'm going to try and wait it out. You know, it's not November yet. <clears throat> But my uh, target for getting corn is right around 2021, 20, you know, uh, might be 22. That seems to be when it works the best through the dryer, 20% moisture, you know. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's it's one of those things a lot of times farmers will say, well, man, why is there still corn standing in the field? And if it's raining, that's pretty obvious. But sometimes it's just because the corn isn't drying down. There's been plenty of humidity, maybe not enough sun and wind, those kind of things that that help take the moisture out of that corn and, and cure it up. And um, like you say here, Ryan, it, it's everybody's got their own target. Some guys are hoping to get it all the way down to 15% moisture, which is where uh, the elevators will take it and not give a dock. But uh, other folks are like, no, I'm not going to wait that far. I, I don't want to have snow out there i got to plow through. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of the elevators, I uh, uh, was down past our local elevator yesterday, and trucks were lined up out in the road to get in. And the problem was is everybody was bringing in wet corn. And uh, uh, their dryer just couldn't keep up with what was being brought in. 
Yeah, it's, that's a real challenge. I, I know exactly what you mean there. And when, when the dryer can only do so many thousand bushels an hour, uh, you're just going to wait once you catch that dryer. And uh, one thing that a lot of folks will do is, is run air through the grain and those kinds of things, but elevators only have so much inside space. So, yeah, that's uh, that's tough when, when it's that wet. Well, Ryan, you said yeah. the first two-thirds of harvest went pretty good, though. Do, do you take harvest yeah. off and immediately do tillage or fertilizer or anything like that, or, or are you just, hey, we're just trying to keep up getting harvest out? Uh, we got the first off, and I got uh, cover crop planted, and uh, then went over to one farm that I checked and got lime spread. So awesome. I spread my own lime. Yeah, so it was between the rains, <laughs> It worked out good to get the cover crop and the lime spread. So well, see, there's got bad. there's got to be a positive. The last couple of years for us, we've been so dry. We've seeded cover crop, and it's like, man, is it ever going to rain to get this stuff started? So at least uh, at least you might have some oh, good yeah. growth by the time it gets cold. Well, it was we hit a dry spell through here right right when the corn was pollinating and the beans were trying to uh, set pods and flower. And stuff just didn't look good, but I'm really surprised at the at the way the beans did. You know, everybody's saying, "Well, it's better than I expected," but you know, what what did you expect or what was the normal? But I can say this year that uh, so far over the last four years, my total farms being average, I'm running ten bushel above that this year, and I don't know how it happened. Wow. Well. I guess there's there's just always this is a, the fun thing about farming. It's like man, it's too wet. We can't get it out of the field yet. We're getting great yields, so yep. uh, I guess that makes it worth yep. waiting for. Well, Ryan, uh, I guess I will yep. pray for some sunshine to head your way, and and maybe even a little bit of wind to try and dry things out. Well, good, thank you. <laughs> you bet. Well, great talking to you, Ryan. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Yep. Very. Thank you. You bet got Aaron out in Maryland on right now with a phosphorus to zinc ratio question. How you doing, Aaron? Doing good. How are you? Awesome. Okay, so you've got high phosphorus, I'm guessing, and uh, it's usually it's usually I've got really high phosphorus. I need to bring up my zinc, but I'm not quite so confident. Or uh, as I'm building my phosphorus, uh, it's going to be a challenge. What have you got? We've got high phosphorus and little zinc, so I need to at least get a little bit more zinc out there to match the, or maybe not even match, just to get it up. And you want to keep yep. that phosphorus that high, or you're hoping to try and? Uh... I'm hoping to lower it. Yeah. Okay. That, because that... I've got farms that are five to six hundred parts per million on a Malik three. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So wow. it's a little excessive. <laughs> well, okay. Let's put it this way: it's is it more than your crop needs for this year? Absolutely, but. Uh, when we talk about excessive, to me, excessive is it's hurting my crop. Your phosphorus at this point is not hurting the crop other than the fact that the zinc and the copper aren't in ratio. And so that's that's the concern. And our other side of this is when you raise zinc and when you raise copper, your crop doesn't take near as much of those nutrients as it does phosphorus. So if let's say, for example, because if you follow just the general rule of 10 to 1 phosphorus to zinc and you go okay well i'll get my zinc up to 50. don't do that because it's going to take you like six lifetimes to bring your 50 back down to five or ten to a normal level if you ever bring your phosphorus back down to say a hundred or something so anyway uh yeah we we would suggest increasing the zinc 
Uh, what is your zinc at now? Two, five? Do you know where you're at? A little less than two, yeah. Yeah, yep. So, yeah, I, I mean, at a minimum, I'm going to probably, if it, if it was my farm, I'd probably try to get it to 15. That's what I would do. Because, okay. I mean, realistically in the future, you're probably going to want 100 to 150 on a Malik 3. That's what I want just, I mean, as a normal uh, corn farmer shooting for big yields. So that's probably what I would do is I'd shoot for in the range of 10 to 15 on zinc. And we're going to hope that that's enough. And in the meantime, you're going to be working on um, <laughs> extracting out a little bit more of that phosphorus and get it down a little. So, yeah, that, it's, a, it's a little high. And, and then the other thing is don't forget about copper. Copper also needs to be a little bit in ratio with phosphorus. We usually say 30 to 1, could be 40 to 1, something like that. Do you know what your copper levels are? 0. 0.04, roughly. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so, yeah. so, so you got a little work to do on these micronutrients. The good news is the micros aren't nearly as expensive as the macronutrients, and you don't need near as much. But, yeah, like for me, uh, I'd probably be shooting for three parts per million on copper at a minimum, maybe five. Some, something like that is probably what I would be shooting for, and then you should be in pretty good shape. By the way, copper is considered the disease nutrient, and so when you're going for high yield, and obviously you are if you got high phosphorus like that, disease can be a killer sometimes, especially in Maryland with all your humidity and moisture and everything else. So keeping the copper levels up in the soil to close to five parts per million, ideally, uh, that should help you in terms of reducing disease levels as well. It seemed like our early planted corn handled disease a lot better this year than our late planted corn. It got northern corn leaf like very leaf spot really bad, and sure. it actually ended up falling. The agronomist said it fell over because of it just in spots. How high are your potassium levels? Are they also high like your phosphorus? No, no. it's. Uh, I'd say we're around 150. We're around 150. And oh. then we put some on in the spring. Yeah, yep, yep. So, yeah, if if you start having lodging issues, I mean, the number one thing is keep keep an eye on those potassium levels. You need a lot of K to build a good stock, especially if you go high population. Yep. How deep would you recommend me till in the uh, zinc and copper if I put it out broadcast? Zinc and copper don't move in soil very well. Same thing with phosphorus. So ideally, I'd like them two to six inches down in the ground. Uh, we've even put zinc and copper clear down to eight to 12 inches down in the ground. But get them down at least a little bit so they're not laying on the soil surface because then you don't your plants just don't have good access then. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. Thanks for the call, Aaron. Good luck. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Well, the good thing about high phosphorus, Brian, is phosphorus is kind of expensive, and, and getting some of these micros out there, uh, a lot of them aren't that terribly expensive. Well, yeah, just think about the money you can save if you don't have to put phosphorus on for the next five years. That'd be great. Yeah, but if you don't know how to read a soil test and understand what those numbers are, you just don't have any idea. We often see farmers in these situations getting recommended to put out a standard NP and K blend like all their neighbors are doing. Uh, and it's not going to provide the kind of return on investment that you're looking for. Well, thanks for listening to our show today. And be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.